we're real close, but we ain't play everybody in the league yet. You know, sometimes teams gonna be throwing things at us that we never seen. But I can't say the team, the, the games we've played so far, you know, um, we've learned. And, you know, we're, we're accelerating fast to where, you know, sometimes we gotta slow ourselves down and, you know, look, look at the, uh, the smaller things and the smaller details and just make sure we abide by those and make sure we establish what type of team we want to be in this league. So, you know, sometimes it's offense, sometimes it's defense. We're trying to be a neutral team where, you know, we check all boxes. This is Jabari Walker. And you're listening to The Briefcase with Casey Holdall. Greetings, Blizzard fans, and welcome to The Briefcase, episode 64 of The Briefcase. I am Casey Holdall, and that was DeAndre Aiden discussing how the process of building a culture and an identity as a team has progressed so far this season. Blazers have looked great at times, such as in the fourth quarter and overtime in the win on Friday versus the Grizzlies, and not so great at other times, such as when they were outscored 26-2 in the final eight minutes of Sunday's loss, which was also to the Grizzlies. So it's about what you would expect from a young team. Every season has its highs and its lows, and how the Trailblazers go about dealing with those extremes could very well define how successful their 2023-24 season is. We'll briefly discuss the Trailblazers after three weeks of regular season play, the injury report getting longer, Portland's disparate offensive and defensive ratings, the Trailblazers versus the spread, and hear from Malcolm Brogdon on this edition of The Briefcase. Well, after nearly three weeks of play, the Trailblazers sit at 3-4 and four after going 3-1 and one last week with wins versus the Raptors, the Pistons, and the Grizzlies, while also losing to the Grizzlies in the rubber match. Going forward, the Trailblazers are out for another three-game road trip versus the Kings, Lakers, and Jazz, which is the second game of the in-season tournament. The Blazers 1-0 in their in-season tournament group stage after beating the Grizzlies on Friday. A reminder that Friday's game versus the Grizzlies was an in-season tournament game, while Sunday's game versus the Grizzlies was not an in-season tournament game. So while both of those games go towards Portland's regular season record, only the first game, i.e. the win, goes towards their in-season tournament record. And on one hand, this trip would seem to present more of a challenge for the Trailblazers, as it's assumed that the Kings and the Lakers are playoff teams in the West, and the Jazz are going to be in the mix for the playoffs this season. But as it stands right now, the Blazers have the same record as the Lakers, who they will face on Sunday, after an extended layoff actually, and they have a better record than the Kings, who they will face on Wednesday, and the Jazz, who they will face on Tuesday, again, in that second in-season tournament game. So while I think there's a notion the Blazers have done well versus some of the teams in the East or in some of the teams that are below them in the standings, the Grizzlies only got their first win versus the Trailblazers, started the season 0-6. The Pistons are one of the few teams that are expected to win fewer games than the Trailblazers this season, and that was one of their wins last week. But at this point, any win the Blazers get is a good win. And I also think, too, that early in the season, sometimes those assumptions about how good teams are going to be are sometimes not correct. And I'm not saying that the Kings and the Lakers aren't good teams. I think they are. I'm really surprised that the Kings have gotten off to a 2-4 and four start. They've lost three straight going into Wednesday night's contest. Same with the Jazz, also have lost three straight and sitting at 2-6. and six. The Kings and the Trailblazers have almost the exact same point differential, which a lot of people will tell you is a better indicator of how good a team is than their win-loss record. And the Jazz have a significantly worse point differential than the Trailblazers right now. And the Lakers are only barely better than Portland in point differential right now. So... While there's an assumption that the teams I just mentioned, the teams of Blazers are going to be playing on this three-game road trip are better than Portland, as of right now, through the first three weeks of the season, they have not been better than Portland. You could say it's a schedule, and there's certainly an element of that, but the fact of the matter is the Trailblazers have an equal or better record and about the same point differential, if not better, than the three teams they are going to face this week. 
So we'll be interested to see how the Blazers are able to traverse this schedule as they really begin to get to the thick of things versus Western Conference teams after spending the first couple weeks of the season mostly playing Eastern Conference teams. So to recap, Kings on Wednesday at 7 o'clock, Lakers at Sunday at 7 o'clock, and Jazz on Tuesday at 6 o'clock. And once again, that is an in-season tournament game. And just so you know, the Utah Jazz's in-season tournament court is completely purple. It's light purple on the outside, dark purple on the inside. So just prepare yourselves for that game on Tuesday to see a whole lot of purple. Unfortunately, one thing you're going to be seeing less of is trailblazers as Portland's injury report keeps getting longer and longer as the season goes on. The most recent being Robert Williams III left Sunday's loss with a right knee injury. The team still hasn't given any update, but according to various reports, Williams will undergo some sort of surgery. What kind of surgery that is is still to be determined. Again, these are from reports. The team has said nothing officially, and it sounds like those surgeries could keep him out maybe for a few months or potentially for the rest of the season. Robert Williams has had issues with that right knee. He missed most of camp and preseason with the injury, said he was 100% healthy by the start of the regular season, looked great out there, was sitting on the second out of back-to-backs as they were managing that injury history. But still, in the second half of that Sunday game, Rob went down, couldn't continue. And as of right now, we don't know the severity of that injury, nor the nature of that injury. But I would say at this point, I think it's probably safe to say that Robert Williams is going to be out for at least a few months, which is just a supreme bummer for Robert, for the Trailblazers. Rob's such a nice guy, was really hoping to start a new chapter of his career here in Portland, put some of that injury stuff behind him that he endured in Boston. Unfortunately, seven games in, Rob goes down. Not sure when we'll see him again. Get well soon, Rob. Portland's really going to miss him on the court. They went from having a center tandem that they were really excited about to now being down to two centers, DeAndre Ayton and Moses Brown. Though I will mention too, in the game versus the Raptors, in which Robert Williams sat out, Jabari Walker actually played backup center and did quite well at that versus a Raptors team that does play some smaller lineups. Trailblazers is going up against the Lakers, Kings, and Jazz. All those teams generally play bigger, particularly at the power forward and center positions. So how Chauncey Billups goes about dealing with the absence of Robert Williams will be a very interesting storyline to pay attention to over this next week. Scoot Henderson has still not returned since rolling his ankle in the second half of the victory versus the Pistons in Detroit and is listed as out for Wednesday's game versus the Kings. Chauncey Billups had mentioned at practice this week that Scoot hadn't really done a whole lot, so not really surprising to hear that he is out for Wednesday's game. The Blazers have three days off between Wednesday's game versus the Kings and Sunday's game versus the Lakers, so you would hope, if the injury isn't that serious, which the team has generally said, that he'll be able to play maybe in that Lakers game, and if not then, in the game versus the Jazz on Tuesday. However, if he doesn't play at that point, he'll have basically missed the last two weeks, and then I think you start to wonder a little bit how serious that injury is. I think more likely than not, they're just being very careful with a young player. They obviously don't want to stunt his growth, don't want to stunt his ability to improve this season, and he's not going to be able to do that if he's out for an extended period of time with an injury that could have been nipped in the bud just by resting a few games. But when you start to miss multiple games and multiple weeks, I think it becomes fair to kind of start wondering what the nature and the severity of that injury is, but I don't think we're there yet. If Scoot isn't playing by the end of this road trip, then I think you kind of start to wonder just what is it that he's dealing with. But if he's able to come back sometime on this trip, I think you just write it off as a general rolled ankle, which guys get all the time in the NBA and the team just being overly cautious. I should note here as well that Scoot did travel with the team to Sacramento to start this road trip, as did Anthony Simons 
who underwent surgery to repair the torn ulnar collateral ligament in his right thumb on Halloween, so he's roughly five weeks away from the original post-surgery timeline of six weeks. So right now, we're looking at mid to late December, assuming there are no setbacks for Anthony's return. He had that big club on his thumb after having the surgery. I saw him today. He's got a smaller protective cover over it now. One assumes that means that he is healing nicely. I wouldn't at all be surprised if perhaps sometime while the team is in Los Angeles, if he'll maybe get an update on that thumb, as I believe he had the surgery done in Los Angeles. That's usually where those kind of surgeries take place. But just an update on Anthony, not much of an update, but we are one week into the six-week timeline that the team gave after he had the surgery. And finally, Ish Wainwright has still not played for the Trailblazers as he rehabs that right calf strain. I've talked to Ish a couple times. He feels like he's very close. I think it was probably up to Ish he would be playing at this point. But again, I think the team being very cautious, not wanting to have any kind of injury that's going to keep a player out for an extended period of time if they just would have taken a bit more time on the front end. I know Ish is raring to go, wants to play, feels like he's very close to getting ready to play, but is listed as out for Wednesday's game. But again, I also would not be surprised if Ish Wainwright at some point in time on this trip did end up seeing his first minutes as a trailblazer. Well, now that we got a little bit of a sample size, we're going to start tracking the offensive and defensive ratings of the Trailblazers this season, as we did all of last season on the briefcase. So after seven games, Blazers are currently 30th in offensive rating at 103.8 points scored per 100 possessions, which is 0.6 points per 100 possessions worse than the 29th team, the Memphis Grizzlies. One of the main issues is three-point shooting, as Portland is dead last in three-point percentage at 29.5% and 28th in three-point makes at 9.6 per game. However, the Trailblazers are ninth in defensive rating at 109.2 points allowed per 100 possessions, which is 2.3 points more than the next best team, the Denver Nuggets, in eighth. Again, as I've talked about throughout the years, it would be fantastic if at some point in time the Trailblazers could match a great defensive rating with a great offensive rating. In seasons past, it's been a great offensive rating and a not very good defensive rating. So far this year, it is a pretty good defensive rating and a dead last offensive rating. And the difference between a team's offensive rating and their defensive rating is their net rating, which for the Trailblazers right now is minus 5.4, which currently ranks 25th. And once a week here on The Briefcase, we'll be singling out a player's statistical achievements, and the first such honor goes to DeAndre Ayton, who is leading the league in total rebounding at 13.3 rebounds per game and defensive rebounding at 10 per game, both of which put him above DeMontis Sabonis, who Ayton will face off with Wednesday night here in Sacramento. But more impressive than the rebounding, which you would expect from a guy like DeAndre Ayton, is that he is fifth in steals at 2.3 per game. He is the only center, I believe, in the top 15 of steals so far this season. DeAndre Ayton, fast hands, not necessarily getting a ton of blocks right now, but getting a whole lot of steals. Really been impressed with the way that DeAndre Ayton has already rounded into form for this Trailblazers team. Not maybe getting involved as much on the offense as you would like to see at this point, but defensively, holding things down. DeAndre Ayton, one of those guys that whenever the Trailblazers do win, you can usually point to a guy like DeAndre Ayton as one of the reasons why. Now moving on to our betting on the Blazers segment, the Trailblazers have yet to be favored in a game this season, even in the rematch versus the Grizzlies, which was Portland's third straight victory and Memphis's sixth straight loss. But that ended up being the right call considering the Grizzlies were favored by three and a half points in the rubber match and would go on to win by 12. And looking at Portland's schedule, it's a bit tough to figure the first game in which they might be favored. 
Obviously, that's highly dependent on injuries, but all things being equal, I would guess that the December 21st game versus the Wizards at Moda Center will be the first time the Trailblazers will be favored this season. A lot can happen between now and then. The Blazers could go on a run. Other teams could fall off. But basically, when you look at where other teams are at, you look at how Vegas has generally viewed the Trailblazers so far this season, a bit hard to figure when they might actually be favored in a game. And as it currently stands, the Blazers are 3-4 and four versus the spread. There's a good chance your overall record and your record versus the spread will be the same when you're never favored. After covering in Friday's overtime victory versus the Grizzlies, in which they were 3.5 point underdogs and won by 2, and then... As noted, failing to cover in the rematch in which the Grizzlies were once again three and a half point favorites and would go on to win by 12. So as of right now, the Trailblazers three and four versus the spread, three and four versus the NBA. And as for their season over under, they're 10% of the way to surpassing their Las Vegas win projection of 28.5 wins after 8% of the season. So the Blazers slightly ahead of schedule with regard to surpassing that over under of 28.5 wins. But still, obviously, a long way to go, not even a tenth of the way through the NBA season. A lot of things can go one direction or the other, but as of right now, the Blazers slightly ahead of schedule in terms of hitting their over. And by the way, Trailblazers seven and a half point underdogs for Wednesday's game versus the Kings. So once again, Blazers, eight games into the season, never once been favored. All right, well, let's go ahead and get to the interview with Malcolm Brogdon, who I was able to sit down with after practice this week to talk about how he feels like his integration with the team has gone so far, mentorship, his relationship with the veterans on the team, coming from a family of intellectuals and how that shaped him, the role of sports in his life as a young man, being a player still in his prime who is willing to be a mentor, the NBA brotherhood, and what he's hoping to see out of Portland's guard rotation this season. Always enjoy talking to Malcolm. He's such an interesting guy, so intelligent, both on and off the court, really has a leadership quality about him that I think people are drawn to. Let's go ahead and hear what Malcolm had to say after a recent practice. So Malcolm, a couple weeks into the season, about a month into your time with the Trailblazers, how's it gone in general for you so far? How are you feeling about the way the team has come together and uh, your place on the team? Uh, you know, I feel good. Um, it's a young team. We're trying to build this thing the right way, um, following Chauncey's lead. I think he's done an amazing job leading these guys, having patience with them, but also being demanding and holding guys accountable. And then, I, you know, I think we've, we've already won games that people thought we shouldn't have won. Um, and we're, we're honestly right where we want to be, um, if not ahead of schedule. I think we're, we're in a good spot. You know, this is not a team that you have to be concerned about playing hard or competing or playing with effort. And that's half the battle in the NBA nowadays is having guys that come out and compete every night. So now execution is going to be our thing. You can't really, you know, you can't rush experience and execution. It's going to come with time. So we got to continue to be patient. That was actually one of the things I had right on my list. So I'll just get to it now. That idea of playing hard. And you're exactly right. Like, it seems like more and more, it's, it's almost confusing sometimes to see teams just not maybe kind of put forth the effort that you assume they would. What do you maybe attribute that to? And, and you seem like the kind of guy to me that, like, that seems so antithetical to, like, who you are as a player to not go out there and play hard. Yeah, you know, I, I think you can, you can honestly have some veteran teams that are sort of pacing themselves. There's a lot of guys in the league that pace themselves, which is understandable, but you got to have a mix. you got to have a mix of enough young guys, enough guys that are fighting for contracts, fighting for, you know, a place to stay in this league that balance out the guys that are pacing themselves that may be a little bit older. And I think this team has that balance. We have a lot of young guys, and then we have a few guys that are, you know, vets like me, Jeremy, um, that are a little bit older, but then the balance is there with this team. And I think it's, uh, I think it's turned out, I think it's going to turn out to be something really nice for us, you know, coming down the stretch as we get 40, 50 games into this. We're going to play better and better basketball because these guys, 
we're going to play hard every night. I know that was one of Chauncey's big things when he came, too. It's just like, I don't feel like we play hard enough. And, you know, I think someone like yourself, you can come in. And I think in a lot of ways, maybe a bit of a culture setter as well. What value do you think it is to just having maybe one or two guys that come in and say, like, this is the way that it's supposed to be done. And I would hope you guys are going to hold yourself to the same standard because that's the standard I'm going to hold myself to. Yeah, you know, I've, I've been on, uh, you know, this is my fourth team, so... I've seen uh, uh, some places where things are done right, some places where things are done wrong. Um, and I'm a guy that wants people to be professional. I'm always, I'm always going to be professional, hold myself to the highest standard. And I'm going to do the same with my teammates. Um, and, you know, as long as you have guys that love the game, guys that work and that want to be coached and are professional, you're going to be in a, you're going to be in a good spot. And this team is full of guys like that. So not every team is like that. So it's a, it, it really is a blessing for all of us to be here together. Um, and, and be surrounded by good people and good guys. You talk about professionalism. When I was kind of doing some of my research, you come from a family of professionals. So your, your dad's a lawyer, your brother's a lawyer, your mom is a dean at Morehouse. And then you play basketball. And I think people see that and maybe think, like, that's maybe a little not what I would expect. So, like, what, what was kind of that like for you growing up and, and the importance of sports in your family? Sports are actually huge in my family. Yeah. Um, you know, education was always, you know, you can't, you can't get on the court and you can't, you know, have your extracurriculars um, after school, play your sports until, you know, your grades are right in the classroom. Like, that was always the standard. Um, the sports were huge for, for myself, my brothers, my family. Um, and my parents, my mom especially, really allowed me to really excel and she pushed me and she made sure I had the opportunity to really work. Once she realized I wanted to work at basketball, she, gave, she made sure I had the opportunity to really uh, play on whatever AU team was necessary, go to whatever high school. Like, she made it happen for me, so... Um, you know, I was blessed growing up to have such an educated family that made me understand the importance of having a great education, but also pursue your dreams and, and work hard at the things that you love. Yeah, I, I read a great quote from your mom where she was like, Malcolm was on a, on a good team in middle school. Yeah. And I could even tell in middle school that he was, he was better than the people that he was playing with. And yeah. so to have that kind of support from your family, even when, you know, like they're academics. And I think there's always this assumption it's like academics and sports are at odds, yeah, but yeah. a lot of the things, yeah, a lot of things that go yeah. into being successful in one realm are very much the things that are going to be successful in that realm as well. Right. No, they don't, they don't have to be. I think, uh, you know, my parents, my mom, I think she really got it right with uh, the balance of, of, you know, us getting a good education, but also allowing us to have the opportunity to really, you know, get on the court, get on the soccer field, whatever it was, football field, and have that balance. And I think that's important for a lot of kids to have that balance, that freedom to do both, um, and to be able to really excel at both, because you can. I know a lot of the reasons why I know at least Chauncey was really excited to get you was because of that mentorship opportunity and knowing kind of who you are as a player and as a person and being willing to impart that on younger players. But you're also in your prime, and we watch you out there, and you're great. And I think a lot of times, guys, when they're at the point in your, where you are in your career, maybe wouldn't be so willing to kind of be extend themselves and kind of help young guys. Um, have you noticed that at all? And, and where do you maybe think that comes from from you? Yeah, you know, I, uh, I pride myself on, that, that's part of me being a basketball player, being the best basketball player I can be. So when I have young guys on any team, uh, I think you can talk to a lot of them in, in any organization. Like I've always had great relationships with the young guys because when I was young, I, I wanted a vet, and I had good vets, but I wanted a vet to take me under their wing, to talk to me, to give me advice to really help me through the process because it's tough being a young guy in this league. It's a, it's a, the learning curve is crazy. So for me, I want to be that vet. Even if I have a lot going on, even if I'm 
you know, they're asking me to lead and do a lot. I want to make sure that I have relationships with each of the guys, especially the young guys. Um, and they know that I'm here for them. And, you know, beyond all this, I, I care about, you know, their well-being in, in this NBA life because it can be a lot. Can you talk just a little bit about that brotherhood of NBA players? Because I think that's something maybe people don't don't recognize is that there is a, a camaraderie there and an understanding that, like, we're in a situation that a lot of people maybe don't understand on the outside. Yeah, yeah you know, it's... Uh, the NBA is tough. Um, I think everybody's struggling with something. I think in the world, everybody, but in the NBA, everybody's struggling with something. But a lot of our struggles are very similar. Um, whether you struggle with family, whether you struggle at home with your wife, whether you struggle, you know, with the team or the front office or, you know, your, your, you know, your role on the team, whatever it is. Financially, you're worried about a contract. I think everybody has similar struggles. And it's a, it really is about just opening up and being able to talk about it and understanding that it is a brotherhood. Because once I, you know, I've, I've struggled with stuff in my career, and once I opened up to one person on the team, I realized, oh, this person or someone else is struggling with the exact same thing. So it's like it's made me feel more comfortable to, you know, express myself to be a little bit more vulnerable because it is a brotherhood. It is guys that are, a lot of us are like-minded, and we're going through the same thing. This is a high-stress, high-reward situation that we're in. So, you know, we're all trying to make the most of it. I think kind of part of that and just understand the NBA is knowing that it goes through ebbs and flows and a season kind of rises and falls. And I would say that generally it's been a pretty good start to the season for the team. I think maybe a little further along than maybe people might have thought. But you would assume it's going to kind of go up and down. So how do you prepare yourselves for those those kind of ups and downs of an NBA season, particularly on a young team? You build good habits. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we got to build good habits. It's not just because we build good habits doesn't mean it's always going to go our way. Um, I mean, it doesn't mean we're always going to win. It doesn't mean we're not going to have droughts. Where we, you know, we're losing games or we can't score, but um, you know, we got to build good habits so that when we do have those times, we have a foundation that we can fall back on, that we know how to play, um, we know how to treat each other, how to speak to each other, um, and be good teammates regardless. I think that's the key. I think you see a lot of teams, teams that don't have maturity, teams that don't have good leadership, things start, you know, falling apart when you lose because guys, you haven't sort of had this foundation. You don't sort of have this. I'd, honestly, I'd say like a hierarchy of guys that can lead from the top, good vets, and then good young guys that can listen um, and, you know, that, that are always going to stay together through the ups and downs. I think that's so important. Um, and it definitely starts with your head coach. It starts with Chauncey. Chauncey has a great feel and sort of pulse on the team because he played, he did it. Um, but then, he, you know, he has, he has, I think he has good vets on this team that are, that are ready to lead and that want to lead. I know we talk a lot about the young guys and you mentoring those guys, but can you talk about your relationship with those vets? Because, you know, it's not like you're just out here just with the kids. It's like you have some guys around, too, that, yeah. that have been in the league and that, that have had some success. Yeah, you know, Jeremy, um, DeAndre, uh, Rob Williams, Matisse, these guys, um, they've all had success. They've all played on championship-caliber teams. So our conversations, when we talk to each other, we're always speaking the same language, yeah. which is really nice to have. So we can bounce ideas off of each other before we bring them to the team so that we're on the same page, so that we can present, you know, uh, a, a sort of united front to the team. Um, it's nice to have those guys because if you don't, it can feel like you're on an island with a lot of young guys yeah. and, you know, speaking a different language than the young guys are. So it's good. I think that, you know, it goes back to me thinking that this team has, has good balance. I guess last question I'll ask you, your relationship with the guards and being kind of the one of the leaders of that group, if not the leader of that group. What are your maybe hopes for, for that unit this year, both in terms of kind of the young guys and Shaden and Scoot, but also a guy like Ann as soon as he's able to get back out there as well? Man, I, you know, one thing I always tell those, literally those three guys, Scoot, Shaden, and, and Ant, is this is your team, so, so take it by the horns, you know. Um, have a voice, uh, lead by example every day. Show up, be on time every day, be professional. 
talk to your teammates, be a good teammate. You're going to have the ball in your hands. You're going to be able to do what you want. The franchise is, is pushing you guys to the front. So take it. Like, embrace the opportunity. Not everybody in the NBA, most guys in the NBA that, that play in the NBA don't get that opportunity from any franchise. So, man, y'all are in a special spot. So I try to echo that to them as much as possible. And just take the, take the opportunity with grace and, and, and treat people well and work hard. And I think things can fall into place for those guys as they mature together and stay together. So there you go. Some great perspective there from Malcolm Brogdon. Obviously, this team is much better on the court with Malcolm out there. And I think we're going to see his influence on this team as the season goes on. I think it's going to be fantastic for guys like Scoot, obviously, guys like Shaden, guys like Ant. But I really think it goes beyond just the guards to really just the the way that you carry yourself in the NBA, the things that you put value on as a player in the NBA. So even guys who aren't spending a lot of time with Malcolm in terms of their work positionally are still getting a lot of knowledge and game from a guy like Malcolm in terms of what it means to be a pro because there's so many young guys on this team, so many guys trying to make their way in the NBA on this team that having a guy who has been through it, who has had success, who started, who's come off the bench, who's played in important playoff games, who's seen a lot of different things through a lot of different organizations, who's gone through a lot of different situations. Those kind of things going forward will really benefit these young players, even when they might not realize it. And the Troublers might not necessarily even be the beneficiary of those benefits. But as Malcolm talked about, the NBA is a brotherhood. It's about taking care of the guys who are in your league. And Malcolm, a guy who's really going out of his way to do those things, something that a lot of guys simply wouldn't do at this point in their careers. And that's going to do it for this edition of The Briefcase. Thank you so much for joining me. We'll be back later this week with more episodes from the road, probably recorded in Los Angeles. Get you guys ready for the start of the G League season. Get you ready for that next in-season tournament game on Tuesday versus the Jazz. And recap what's happened in the Kings game that is Wednesday night, 7 o'clock start time on Root Sports and Rip City Radio. Talk to you soon. Thank you for listening. Like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Go Blazers. Go Blazers.